This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Podcasts. Good morning. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hawn. Are they setting people up for this unrealistic expectation that 2023, they're suddenly going to use that $100 million in cap space and all this draft capital they have? Voila! playoff contender and Dan Weeder and you think suddenly that there are going to be 40 new players that are all difference makers I just don't know what fantasy land that is we're going to take the north and never give it back welcome to the take the north podcast I am David Haw from the Mullen Haw show on 670 the score Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune and this take the north podcast and anywhere else that he wants to contribute in his <laughs> spare time. There hasn't been much of that this week. What a busy week this has become in Chicago about the Bears. The holidays uh, are kind of sandwiched between the games are interesting, but a lot else going on. Dan, we will get to all of it in this podcast. Yeah, no question, David. It's still busy out here, and I, I am uh, impressed inside the building at the urgency that this team is still displaying, despite being 3-12 and 12 and trying to uh, squeeze something out of these last 10 to 12 days of the season that, that can be meaningful for them going forward. And as you mentioned, there's some other things popping up in the world of the Chicago Bears. Their search for a uh, team president continues, and a name surfaced Thursday via the, the college folks. Uh, ESPN, I think, was the first to have it with Kevin Warren's name emerging as one of the, uh, the top candidates for that position. Yeah, Pete Thamel from ESPN, a guy who is well-connected in the college athletics uh, administration sourcing, and I think that he is a very reputable reporter. He came out on Thursday afternoon and said that Kevin Warren had interviewed for the job as Bears president. He is a Big Ten commissioner, former executive with the Minnesota Vikings. We will get into all of that yeah. just so you know. In our audience, we are dropping this on Friday morning. The Bears play the Lions on Sunday in Detroit. Happy New Year's. Uh, spending it with Dan Campbell as the opponent. And we are all here for you on the 
Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcasts. And also on 670 The Score's YouTube page, you can watch us talk to each other, interact. And if that's easier for you on your computer or on your smart TV, whatever the case may be, okay, we've got a lot to get to. Let's get to it right, right away in our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the opening drive. Okay, Dan, so I'll let you take it from here. I have thoughts on Kevin Warren, as we said, the Big Ten commissioner, who is reported by Pete Thamel at ESPN to be somebody in the mix as a finalist for the Bears president job. What was your immediate reaction when you saw the news? Yeah, so I, I wish I could tell you I was surprised, but I wasn't. As I was casting lines earlier in the fall uh, around the league trying to get a sense for, for some of the names that, that might be popping up. And I had a, a prominent league source not connected with Kevin, bring Kevin's name up and say that, you know, with his depth of NFL experience, you mentioned him being in the Vikings organization for, for upwards of 15 years as an executive in that front office, what he's done with the Big Ten. And then also notably during his time in Minnesota, he was instrumental uh, in the process that the Vikings organization went through in um, putting together a stadium plan and getting U.S. Bank Stadium built to replace the Metrodome. And so when you see the state that the Bears are currently in and you understand what some of their priorities are going forward for the organization, uh, there's things about this that make sense. Now, again, this is just a uh, report of one candidate here and one finalist. We don't know if Kevin Warren will get the job. We don't know what some of the sub layers to this are, um, but certainly there are some things that are attractive. And if you're Kevin Warren, it's certainly attractive to know you wouldn't have to move your family <laughs> from wherever he lives here near the Big Ten to uh, to obviously to, to come to work uh, in Lake Forest instead. The Bears don't always respond to reports, as we know from covering them for years, but they did issue a statement in Ted Phillips' Um, was referenced in that statement, and here it is from the report on ChicagoTribune.com. We have not set a timeline for announcing Ted Phillips' successor. Our search team has cast a wide net, spoke to many outstanding candidates, and looks forward to introducing our next president and CEO at the process's conclusion. End of quote. Dan, I think it will be sooner rather than later. I would think maybe in a month to six weeks. Is that a realistic timetable? Do you have anything else to add in terms of when they will make this. Big. Yeah, look, at that should be a realistic timetable, to be honest with you, David. Obviously, Ted Phillips made his announcement uh, public in, in early September that he was going to be stepping down from his role as team president and CEO at the end of the season. He later uh, gave a specific date to that and said February 28th was was the last day in the building, right? And so, so you have uh, that bridge now that you have to, to build and cross if you're an organization to try to get Ted's successor in there. Uh, Colleen Kane, uh, my colleague at the Tribune, had a chance in in the early fall to sit down with George and Ted and talk a little bit about uh, the, the the search process. And you would hope now here we are, you know, almost four months later uh, at a state where they should have made pretty good progress. They should have it pretty well narrowed down. And then with Nolan Partners, who's the search firm that has been helping them along, uh, they should be able to get this thing across the finish line. And it was during that interview with Colleen Kane when she asked George McCaskey about what he was looking for in the list of qualities in the next president. He said this, quote, leadership, vision, humility, consensus building. You look at the qualities of outstanding leaders, and we think we're going to be able to bring in an exceptional candidate to succeed Ted and lead the Bears. One benefit of that type of experience, he said, referencing the the kind of the past that uh, – maybe Warren has the others as well. One benefit of that type of experience is you get a little intel on how other organizations work. So that's helpful. And I will leave it at that. George McCaskey in September. Yeah. Um, a footnote to all of this is that 
when I spoke with some folks in the Vikings organization who obviously know Kevin very well and, and, and kind of floated his name when the Bears played up there in October, one of the thought processes there was that Kevin Warren makes a pretty good chunk of change from the Big Ten right now. He's obviously also just negotiated this this landmark TV rights deal uh, that's going to be worth in excess of a, a billion dollars a year for the conference. And so you're very curious to know exactly what the compensation numbers are for the Chicago <laughs> Bears, right? Okay. Like you so, don't you don't leave a, a you know a six million dollar a year job for a two million dollar a year job or whatever you're willing to pay your team president. So who knows what that what that factor is going to be in this as the search continues. So let me take what we just said up to this point okay i'm putting it in a box that's the compartment a that's the information okay i'm going to open this box and this compartment b that's where you get the opinion and maybe the insight into this and you're exactly right this is what i think about kevin warren as mentioned as a team president for the chicago bears or somebody who was a finalist for the job i think the chicago bears probably need kevin warren i don't doubt that at all i do wonder how badly Kevin Warren feels like he would need the Chicago Bears. I don't know that it's a better job, and I don't know what Kevin Warren wants. I think anybody in that right. position has to prioritize their values, and maybe he considers himself somebody who is more suited for professional sports and professional football, although college sports have become <laughs> a very uh, similar thing to that. But you're you're talking about a guy who has the commissioner of the Big Ten. Before they added UCLA – and USC, and opened up the Western Corridor. Right. Before that happened, in 2020, I think USA Today reported that Kevin Warren earned over $4 million as a commissioner of the Big Ten. My sense is that in the last two years, that has probably gone up with the inflation of college sports. My sense, in addition to that, is it will continue to increase as the Big Ten, which is the most lucrative conference in all of college sports, he oversees that conference. Why in the world would he want to leave that and what that brings him in terms of a salary to go work for an organization that is a four, four, you know, $4 billion enterprise, but team presidents, as we know, Dan, aren't typically paid in that stratosphere. Well, so, right. And, and, and I'd be very curious to know if, if the Bears would even consider getting anywhere near that ballpark with, with, with that strategy, with that, with that compensation. To, to your question about what would draw you to this job, that's an open-ended one. And there's a few possible answers to that. One is maybe you feel like your draw to the NFL is, is pretty significant and you spent a lot of time in the league and you miss it and you feel like, man, I want to get back into that world. Maybe you see an opportunity to be a guy who, who elevates a, a once-story franchise that has hit new depths and, and new lows in the last you know 10 20 25 years and yet you, you see the the challenge and and like many coaches do the the potential rewards of, of lifting that back to to states of glory that have not been experienced around here since I was a child since you were a child and and so th there may be some of that to that it's gonna be really interesting when this process winds down to kind of get some more insight into how it unfolded and what the the mutual attraction was between whoever the Bears hire and whoever uh, George and the Bears, right? And, and what that leadership group is. As we know, right now, George McCaskey is overseeing 
general manager Ryan Poles. That was a role he took on when Ted announced, uh, well, at least privately made it clear last winter that he didn't want to be in that role anymore. And so you at, you wonder, does this new team president come in and have a have a role in overseeing the general manager and being a, a sounding board and being somebody that that can be in that role? Is this someone that that needs to have a heavy football background? The Bears have said, look, we're not going to lock into. We need someone with a heavy business background. We need someone with a football background. We're going to go find the best candidate and make them work for this organization. All of these things are an interesting sort of uh, combination of factors that that lead them down a path to making a decision, David, that I think you and I would agree is more significant than it may seem because the institutional failures in this organization over the last quarter century go up. They go up and they go up and they go up the chain. And you want to get that rectified as soon as humanly possible with people that are as highly qualified and competent in those roles as humanly possible. And that reality makes the job much less appealing than the tradition of it. And it is a legacy job, but it is also a complicated job. And it's only going to get more complicated because, number one, your priority list is something that isn't even complete yet. But it begins with the stadium project and whether or not you're going to stay at Soldier Field unlikely, no. or go down <laughs> the road to Arlington Heights and do for the Bears what um, the Vikings have done, what the Rams have done, what other organizations have done, and what Kevin Warren, frankly, might be a, a specialist at, if you will. So there are a lot of things, but there's also the inevitable succession issues that are going to be confronting the McCaskey family at some point in time for the next president. You have to look at this job as one that you don't take for a year and a half. Right. If, you, if you project out and you're going to be there for a decade, these are the kind of realities that you're going to have to confront before they happen. So there are a lot of things in play for Kevin Warren to consider if indeed he is at the front of the list or a finalist and gone, gone down the road. Whoever takes the job has got to understand some of the complexities surrounding it. Not that they wouldn't, but I don't know how that would be in my world. And I probably do prefer college to pro if I were to you know, have to check a box. I don't know if that sounds like a better job than the commissioner of the Big Ten. I would also just say that the the world of college sports is becoming increasingly chaotic and increasingly more complex. And nobody has a, a really good feel on how some of these complicated issues within college sports will will, will resolve themselves or, or at least become moderated to some extent with everything that's happened uh, with the transfer portal and NILs and, and, and college athletes being paid and, and all of the, the chaos that is that has ensued. And so, um, you know, who knows? Who knows how that factors into a candidate's mindset and, and, and what they're looking at? as they eye a future and eye stability and eye things of that nature. Uh, really going to be fascinating. And, and listen, for all of our sakes, for, for all of us selfishly on the beat who spent last January tracking uh, 25 candidates interviewing for uh, coaching and general manager positions, I promise you I speak for the entire room that's just to my left over here inside House Hall and saying the faster the Bears can get a team president hired, the more thankful uh, that the beat court will be that that's not something that they have to, to uh, chase for an entire offseason. Absolutely true. And when it happens, we will be right here at the Take the North podcast to give you all the information and opinions you want. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball has been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast available on the Odyssey app wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. But Dan, I think we need to move on because the Bears have a uh, penultimate football game to play in Detroit on New Year's Day. And there's a lot going on there. So let's um, pivot from the front office to the football field and look ahead at the Lions game Sunday. The Lions, this is the way that we can segue into this. There are two things to me that have become very clear about this Bears season. Two things that I think are big picture conclusions that that I'd like to draw right now. Number one, they found their quarterback. Hallelujah. Okay, that is what we have spent the uh, last month or so or a few months or so talking about debating and, and celebrating in some circles. The Bears have found their quarterback. Number two, I think it's undeniable that the Bears have established themselves as the worst team in the division. So they oh, have yeah. been passed by the Lions. And I don't know if that was true at the beginning of the season, but it certainly is more apparent, apparent now as we get into um, this game between the Bears and the Lions. The Bears have established themselves as the cellar dwellers in the NFC North. David, if the Bears lose on Sunday and the Green Bay Packers win, the Bears will be in last place in the NFC North by five games. That's five games out of third place in the division. So if you're talking about ground that needs to be made up, that's a, a, a an indicator staring you right in the face that says you you are that far away uh, from, from even being near the, the upper half of your division, much less having a chance to take the North and never give it back uh, to, to, uh, to drop a, a podcast reference there. So this is a, a, a two-week sp- uh, span here against the, the Lions and then the home game against the Vikings to close it out where you get a, a little bit more of a division measuring stick. The Bears have not gone uh, winless in the NFC North since 2017. It's the only time in the history of the NFC North, which dates back to the early parts of the century, that, that the Bears went winless in the division. So <laughs> I know people are going to dread it if they, they, they go squeeze out a win somewhere in these last two games. But I think it is important to let your competitors know, hey, you know, <laughs> we're hanging around and, and, and we're going to be feisty and we're going to come after you a little bit. I thought it was notable on Thursday. Uh, I guess it was still the morning when we heard from Luke Getze. Uh, and he, him talked about going into a, a playoff atmosphere at Ford Field on the first weekend of January, something you don't say a lot <laughs> when you're covering the league. But I think it's important for the Bears to, to embrace that and recognize that, that the Lions have a lot to play for, that they are still fighting for a chance to be a wildcard team in the postseason uh, in January. And when you have the opportunity to experience a, a game that has that energy in the building, that has that big stakes uh, attached to it, all of a sudden you've got you've got a chance to grow. You've got a chance to add another experience to your, to your library. And I think it's cool that this coaching staff is, is using that as a way to kind of get some attention and concentration out of the group that they're coaching. Now, grudging or not, you have to give the respect to Dan Campbell because everything you just said is possible, I believe, because he got his team to buy in. And he got his team to buy in through some very difficult circumstances. <laughs> it, it, this is the power of coaching. If you want to make that argument, the evidence is there. They were one in six, I believe, this season. They were. Right? They started one in six. And yep. here they are talking about the potential of making the playoffs, a playoff atmosphere at Ford Field in January, the first day of 2023. And I think that it has more to do 
or at least as much to do with coaching as it does talent. Now they do have talent. The strength is in their offensive line. I think yeah. they have built their defensive line with pieces and they started to go, but their strength is not their defense. Jared Goff has had a very <laughs> surprisingly good season, but Dan, they build with the offensive line. They epitomize what their coach is in terms of toughness. And you have to give Dan Campbell the credit he deserves for putting them in this situation. We'll get to the blueprint in a minute here in terms of some of the things that they're trying to do under Dan Campbell and, and general manager Brad Holmes. Uh, I'm writing a story for ChicagoTribune.com, which will be launched on Friday morning as you listen to this, uh, just kind of about this surge that the, the, the Lions have been on and, and, and what it traces back to in their minds and, and, and how it can be not necessarily replicated, but at least acknowledged by the Bears in the, in the state that they're in. Uh, and you go back to the preseason and, and the Lions, obviously, you know, they, 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 their entire 2021 season was defined by near misses. They finished in last place in the division. You are a three and 13 football team that, that just found every way to lose games in Dan Campbell's first season. And then they go in in the first week of the preseason and they blow a lead late in a preseason opener against the Atlanta Falcons means nothing, right? It means nothing to you, means nothing to me, means nothing to, to 89 of the players that were uh, on the sideline that night at Ford Field. Dan Campbell was having none of it because they had a lead in the fourth quarter. They had a three-point lead. It could have been a seven-point lead. They couldn't get it done, and they end up giving up a, a late touchdown to Desmond Ritter, and it set Dan Campbell off. And so here's a clip from Hard Knocks that played uh, in the summer to give you an indication of, of just kind of where Dan Campbell's mindset was there, and then we'll talk about what it means. This is the one thing, man, that just irritated me about last night. In the critical moment, we control that game. We had control of this game. All right. We gave it away. Which was that them or us? That was us, man. All the stuff that's been here that has kept us from winning. If we really want to go where we want to go, we got to get all the rest of this out of our stuff, man. All this dirt, everything that's in our Gee, this last bit of losing's got to get out of here. The shit that crushes us, that costs you a game, costs you a season, costs you the playoffs, costs you a championship game, costs you a Super Bowl. Like, that's the shit we got to get out, man. When we have a game and we own that game, we finish that game. David, Dan Campbell did not care that it was third and fourth stringers on the field at the end of that, that football game against the Falcons in August. He's talking about returning the Lions to a culture that doesn't accept mediocrity at any, at any point. And that means in from the preseason to the last game you play in the regular season, it may be a little too meatball-y and, no, and football-y no, for a lot of people it, in the it, world. It will be. It, it, it will be. We, know, we both know that. I mean, you know that when you picked it. You know that when you heard it. You know that because – what what this has done, it didn't need this season to do it in Chicago or elsewhere, but there are people who understand what Dan Campbell is saying and respect where he's coming from and understand the context because he's a football coach. This is the way football coaches talk and think and act. This is the way they they, they care about things like culture. Okay. Outside details. Of, details. 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 You're exactly right. The attention to details and what those mean when you when you magnify those details and they help you create a larger culture that you one day will benefit from. But outside of that bubble, however big that bubble may be, inside where the meatballs reside, like us, I suppose, I think other people look at that, the draft nicks, if you will, and they say, well, you know, that's ridiculous because once you get talent here, you will, you will find culture is largely irrelevant and none of that stuff will matter. And I think that is the argument that is difficult to combat or counter, but you believe one way 
or you believe another way. I, I think there's very little middle ground. And once you pick a lane, it's very difficult to veer off of it. Well, I think you can I think, look, I go down the highway all the time and sometimes I'm in the express lane. Sometimes I'm in the right lane. I think you could explore different lanes and look at different things and figure out how you like the view in different places. But the, the, the point of this is that we're, we're now, you know, almost five months beyond that that little uh preseason pep talk the, the you know the scene there in the locker or in the team meeting room in in Detroit after that loss and you see a Lions team that suddenly has found something right and i've told you off off the air that we were going to we were going to suspend and put a moratorium on using the phrase learn to win because uh it's just too radioactive and people lose the interpretation of what you're trying to say and so um i, I said we were going to replace it with with you know talking about discovering a winning formula OK, like nobody can can argue with discovering a winning formula because every team has to find that for themselves. The Lions have found it within the second half of the season. They got blown out this past weekend in Carolina, lost 37 to 23. And it was, the, you know, just their second loss in the last eight games. But they had been on a, a, a ride there where they had won six of seven and they had won close games. and They had won games where they played their best football and pulled away. And they had won games where, where they had to protect a really small lead late in the game. And they won games where they had to come back and win. And Dan Campbell has spoken to that team about this is how uh, you kind of gain experiences in all these different environments in the NFL. And then you have something to draw back on as you're trying to become a team that wins regularly. Look, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, that this is a, a model organization, right? The Detroit Lions are still, you know, in the middle to the bottom half of the NFC, and they still got a long way to go to find their way to what we would consider relevance, which is being competitive on an annual basis for a three-year stretch or longer. But they found something. And one of the things I think they found, and, and it's I instrumental for every team, is the element of belief. And here's another thing. Talk to a handful of folks in Detroit this week, David, and, and they point back to the end of last season when the Lions won three of their final six games as a bit of a springboard. And I, I know people will roll their eyes and say, what do you mean a springboard? They, they started the season one and six. How did that finishing stretch help them? But people inside that organization at every level, credit that end of season surge to to strengthening the belief and, and, and steadying the belief inside the team that, OK, we can find ways to win games and it's going to help us up the road. It helped them in the stretch where they won six of seven and now he's coming off a loss. And, and so you, you, you embrace those kinds of things and you see a team, as you mentioned earlier, that's building itself in the trenches and then trying to, to, to just find a way to get that catalyst that makes them good. In as Matt Eberflus has talked about ad nauseum now for the last few weeks, being sharp in game defining moments. So, if we do transition from learning to win to developing the winning formula and you do look <laughs> at the way that maybe the lions may develop that or, or started to develop that last year and it carried over, there is a carryover effect. I think that you are referencing. And I think that they would reference as part of part of the process that has put them in the position they're in today in that context. Don't you think that is part of the reason? And that's part of what you heard from Justin Fields on Wednesday in explaining why he wants to play and why he's going to play and, frankly, why he should play. Right. Look, I, I, not a single person inside this building is bad. You know, blinked an eye at the idea that Justin Fields wants to play, should play, can gain something out of playing, that it's not just, you, you know, hey, let's shut him down. Let's pick five games next year that he can play. And when we get to Super Bowl 59, we just turn him loose for that because that's the, the next game that matters for this team. Uh, but we we heard from Justin and, and, and look, he wants to play. He understands that the, the growth process requires being in experiences and games that uh, allow you to grow. And then he also talked about what it would mean to him 
uh, if they could squeeze a win out of one or both of these last two games. And here's what he said. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels great. Um, you know, uh, no, we're on a losing streak right now, but you know, I think you know, winning this week and winning the last week of the season, it, you know, be great momentum going it going into the off season. So, um, and you know, I think it. It's really just the, it just feel good, you know, just, you know, ending the game with the win because we're on a eight-game losing streak or something like that. But, um, yeah, just, just feeling good, just the amount of work we put in and just the attitude of everybody in the building, um, you know, just that, you know, positive mindset and, you know, going in uh, to practice and to meeting room, just, just wanting to get better. So um, just the work that we put in during the week and, you know, it paying off with the win, that that definitely be huge for sure. Even Justin has lost count of how many games in a row they've lost. Like that. <laughs> yada, 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 the eight-game losing streak. <laughs> that's that's how long it's been. We were um, celebrating in Foxborough and yada, yada, yada. We, we haven't uh, won since. We've referenced DeAndre Houston Carson previously on this program, and, and he's a great um, – voice in this locker room right now because he's been through a lot during his seven seasons here with the Bears and he's seen losing seasons he's seen last place seasons he's been to the playoffs a couple times he understands kind of the differences between those teams and I had a a cool one-on-one discussion with him in the locker room on Wednesday afternoon and he used the phrase learn to win without being prompted for it and I just kind of asked him to kind of explain things and I'm going to read you a little bit this is in my story on chicagotribune.com the first thing he said that when I asked him I said what would be in your eyes the value of winning a game or two down the stretch and he said mental sanity you know and I said I do know right like we referenced it earlier just the feeling like all the work you're putting in is going towards something I think is valuable to a player Uh, and so there's that but he he said uh, for this team it'd be good to gain a better understanding of what it actually takes to me learning how to win is about learning how to close games in the fourth quarter. That's what the NFL is. And from what I've learned and what I really believe that means is you learn how to keep doing right longer than the other team. That was a cool way to to phrase that. He went on to say, uh, there are a lot of things that go into it, but for me, when we talk about learning to finish and learning to close, if you can develop the habit of playing every play like it's the same, then in the fourth quarter, nothing feels different. You're just playing football. That traces back to how you practice, where your mindset is during the week, how you visualize things. That's all part of this. And then I said, look, four years ago, you were part of a team that at this time of year was on an awesome ride. The Bears won nine of their last 10 regular season games in 2018 to win the division. Their only loss was an overtime road loss to the New York Giants when Chase Daniel was playing their quarterback and they showed all the metal and moxie and poise needed to come back and put that game into overtime. And he said with that team, when they got in that run, he said, at that point, we knew going into each week we were going to win. I don't know that that's the feeling here right now. It's more like we'll see, but you have to develop that real belief that we're going to win this game. That's a huge part of this too. That's from that's from a respected team leader in this locker room. Here. Well, and a guy whose voice carries because of his experience and what he's been through. And he has been part of some winning and some part of some very you know, tough losing. And now that uh, that's perspective, you know, and that's maturity. And that's why you have guys like that around. Uh, so good for him to be able to put that in the kind of context and words that he did. I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. But, Dan, I think then the next question in the context of this week, we have to cover all of it, and we got to try to get through it because there's yeah. a lot going on. So, yeah, the Bears want to win, and all the meatballs are like us are nodding. Yeah, you know, we understand why they need to win. We need to develop this process and have it carry over. But there's somebody out there saying, you know what? The Derek Carr has been exiled <laughs> from Las Vegas, and now they need a quarterback. And Devontae Adams went to Las Vegas to play with Derek Carr. So he's not going to be very happy, and he may want to navigate his way out of Las Vegas in the offseason. So the Bears should do everything in their power 
to get the number one overall pick. And maybe Lovey Smith can win a game that impacts the Bears in a positive way and do something for the organization that was so good to him. And if the Texans win and the Bears lose out, then all of a sudden you have an auction for your number one overall pick. And maybe, just maybe, you can entice the Raiders to throw in Devontae Adams <laughs> and get your number one receiver and get your draft capital that you need, and all will be well. Dan, you've heard it. I know it. I've gotten tweets to that effect last night on Wednesday <laughs> night when it happened. How would you answer all that nonsense, or is it nonsense? If you promised me that the Bears could get Devontae Adams, a first-round pick, another two or three or four, whatever all these people are saying that's going to come back in that hall, then I'd say, let's go. Let's go to Detroit and lose. Let's go, <laughs> let's, let's go lose these last two games. But this is my whole point with this pie-in-the-sky thinking is that, that I, I <laughs> until we know what happens with whatever draft pick they wind up with, one or two, it's really hard to have an intelligent, reasoned discussion on what they can get out of losing all these games. It, right. It's all guesswork. It's all imagination. It's all, uh, again, pie-in-the-sky thinking on best-case scenario is this. Again, and I've brought up examples like when the when the uh, Panthers, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Colts traded their pick to the Jets so the Jets could come up and get Sam Darnold, and they didn't really get a haul back in that trade that turned them into world beaters. The the Browns traded the Eagles their number two pick so the, the Eagles could come flying up and get Carson Wentz in 2016, and 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 the return that they got back when you finally sifted through it all a couple years later and said these were the players that that wound up coming back from that trade. It was just a eh, I don't know how good it was. And so, right. um, look, when, Justin Fields just surpassed 4,000 passing yards for his career in his 24th start against the uh, Bills on Christmas Eve. He could double that total next year when he's throwing to Mooney and Devontae Adams and T. Higgins. And maybe, who knows, maybe they can bring T.O. back out of retirement and have a dream team receiving core. But I just don't think that that some of these dream scenarios that are fun for fans to, to go down are, are all that realistic. Um, who knows? Maybe we'll be wrong and maybe we'll be doing a, a podcast in, in April or March or May saying, boy, how good does Devontae Adams look in a number 17 jersey in Lake Forest? Well, I, I don't think we, we would be wrong necessarily. I'm not ruling that out. I, I think in, in the world that we live in, you know, where fantasy football has become such a cottage industry and everybody is, is a general manager and working this out and planning ahead, it is fun to consider and certainly speculation that is understandable. I just think, as you put it, it's it's so still down the road and far-fetched at this point in time to want to, you know, orchestrate losing to the point that, that, that is being suggested is, is maybe a bridge too far, but yeah, it, it's fun to consider. I don't know what's going to happen with that. We, none of us do. Um, the Raiders have yet to even declare who's going to be coaching them. Who's going to be <laughs> making that draft pick. So there's, it's way premature, but I guess that is the fun. And that's why sports talk radio stations exist. And, and the NFL is as popular as it is. Okay, right. so th there's plenty of more. Anything else on that speculation before we get into our numbers game and predictions? No, we can go right to that. All right, let's get into our numbers game with uh, our predictions coming next. Okay, so, Dan, ChicagoTribune.com, all of the numbers game, all the stuff that you have, you have for this week of note. Yeah, first one is eight. It's uh, what Justin Fields just brought up in the last segment. It's the length of the Bears losing streak. It's the longest in franchise history, matched by only two teams, 2002 Bears and the 1978 Bears. A loss Saturday, I'm sorry, last Sunday on New Year's Day in Detroit would give the Bears the longest losing streak in the history of the franchise. I think we're, what are we on now? We're on uh, year 103 now. 
Never before have they lost nine games in a row inside of a season. That would be what you're looking at if they lose on, on, on Sunday. There's just been way too much history made this season. I know some of it has been good, but this is not the kind that you want to celebrate. Hey, new Bears president, come take over a job <laughs> and move us to the suburbs and make us look all shiny and new. We just had a historically long losing streak. Next. Two more two more numbers to, to make you feel better. 409.9. That is the yards allowed per game by the Detroit Lions. That is the worst defense in the NFL. The Lions are also last in the league in yards per play, giving up 6.4 per play. They're last in the league in yards per pass play allowed, 7.7 in that category. They're bad in the red zone. They're bad on third down. They are a team that plays indoors. And so the Bears have very few excuses to not have a prolific, productive offensive output on Sunday afternoon. And that's related to their points per game, which is your next number. Well, 30 is the third number, and that's the, the, the number of points that the Bears scored in their last game oh, against the Lions. All right. The Lions, the Lions have given up 30 points at least five or, or five. They've given up at least 30 points five times this season, including last week's 37-23 loss at Carolina. The Bears – haven't visited 30 points since playing the Lions. That's five games ago. And they've averaged 19 a game uh, in Justin's last four starts. We throw out the 10 points they scored in, in New Jersey when Trevor Simeon was playing. And you see an offense that hasn't sustained that explosive scoring that they showed for a four-week stretch there uh, earlier in the year. You, you pair that up with the number that we just gave you about how bad the Lions' uh, defense is, and you hope that this is a chance to create some of that momentum or regather some of the momentum that, that has uh, dissipated a little bit. And anybody who wonders why Justin Fields wants to play and should play Sunday at Ford Field needs to rewind the last minute and a half to listen to those numbers again. This is a bad defense. Justin Fields is a great quarterback who is explosive. Definitely, you can see him ha adding to his long list of explosive plays Sunday at Ford Field. I'm Get excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. with you. And so the last number, and we'll get into this a little bit more right after predictions, but it's 12. It's the number of losses the Bears have for the season. There's some significance and some research I did that I'll give you in a minute. I'll try to uh, keep it short. Uh, I believe 13 is the franchise record for losses in a season. Uh, you just don't want to be one of these teams that continues to set these franchise records for futility, uh, but they probably will be. And so we just accept it and we move forward. All right, we'll move forward into our predictions. So I will predict that the Bears are going to uh, set a franchise record or at least tie the franchise record for losses on Sunday at Ford Field. Lions 31, Bears 28. It will be high scoring. They won't crack 30. But I don't see any reason to believe in this Bears team, even though they might be getting Tevin Jenkins back, even though they might be getting uh, some other pieces back. They're going to be losing a wide receiver. We'll get into that. Dante Pettis seems to be injured and, and iffy. But I don't see reasons to believe in the Bears, especially with the Lions having something to play for and being incentivized and motivated. So 31-28 Lions over Bears. I have a similar score and a similar result. I have Lions 30, Bears 24. Uh, they just have to find a way to keep up here in this game. They should have windows to keep up. Um, but again, it, it, this comes down to incentive, right? And it, it comes down to what team is hungrier at this point of the year. Right now, uh, particularly coming off a loss uh, against the Panthers, I think the Lions will be motivated. They will be at home. They understand that if they win that game, there's the potential to set up a win and in game at Lambeau Field in Week 18. And if that doesn't juice you up, I don't know what will. So you have done some research that I think is valid to we can quickly get to because when the Bears lose their 13th game, and it does seem inevitable, 
uh, and now they already have, have gotten to the 12 loss mark. What happens when you go deeper than that uh, is that you have a much diff more difficult time climbing back for whatever reason, but historically says it uh, not always guaranteed. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you some overview numbers that I'm going to do. Uh, uh, have you pick a couple of years out of this. This is a 20 year sample size from 2002 to 2021. And it's the teams that lost at least 12 games in a season, what they did the following year. 97 teams from 2001, from, I'm sorry, from 2002 to 2021 suffered 12 or more losses in a season. The following year, 14 of those 97 became division champions. Made it back to first place. Oh. So it's possible. Huh. That, that's that's the window that's, of possibility that's there. That's more than I would have guessed, Dan. 21 of the 97 made it to the playoffs the next season after going after having 12 or more losses in a season. How many more? Uh, 21? 21 total. 21 total. 21 playoff teams, 14 division titles. Okay. All right. Teams to finish above 500 a year after experiencing 12 losses. 27. Okay. 27, 500. That's interesting. All right. Teams to remain in last place after experiencing 12 losses or more, 37 out of 97. <laughs> so more, more common than going, than going uh, above 500 is to, to stay in last place. And, and 48, David, almost half, which it, it, it can be half if, if the Carolina Panthers lose one more time <laughs> this year, uh, have suffered a double-digit loss season the year after experiencing at least 12 losses. So, so almost half the time, almost you, you, half the time, you will also suffer a double-digit loss season after a season in which you lost twelve games. Pot potentially uh, more than half if the, if the Panthers lose one of their okay. their final two games. But There's a, 50, a few. 50, of these. It, it's it's roughly half of the teams that they have a difficult time. And it's more than, that rut. It's more than double the teams that have gone on the next year to make the playoffs right and so this is one of the things that i've talked about this week is just trying to distinguish between uh possible and probable right and and and, and making that distinction in a way that helps you kind of just keep yourself calibrated that's all i'm not i'm not trying to ruin anyone's fun uh just trying to look at it through a, a lens that that gives you some some numbers and then i'm gonna have you pick a couple of those years because i'm gonna tell you a few things about those real quick real quick question the 21 teams that made the playoffs out of the 97 between 2002 and 2021 does that that 21 playoff teams includes the 14 division title winners correct Oh, yes. Yes. No, yeah. yes, absolutely. Yes. So basically seven wild card teams out of that group, because if there are 14 um, division winners and seven other right. teams made the playoffs. So that's interesting because I think that's what you want to look at. So if you're the Bears and again, if you are a glass half empty guy and if you run a, a football team in the NFL, you better be. You better be right. So you're looking at a fact that 21 of those teams out of 97 in the last 20 years, you've got a 22% chance of making the playoffs the next season. One out of five. I'm probably going to lean into that, Dan, even though I understand what's ahead. I'm going to probably focus on that. If I am Ryan Poles. No doubt. No doubt. And you should be preaching that here. You should be preaching the possibility here. You, like, like you, Inside the building, you, you you shouldn't talk about probability. Now, just just pick me out three years out of that twenty year span here, and I'm just okay. going to give you a little snapshot of a couple things: 2005, 2012, and 2019. All right, let's start with 2005. Uh, you're you're 
New York Jets finished with 12 losses that year, came back the next year, won 10 games, and grabbed a wild card. The Saints lost 13 games in 2005, came back the next year, won 10 games. There was a guy named Drew Brees that was instrumental in that, and they won the, uh, the, the, the division championship. So that was an interesting year there. In 2005, here were your, your players picked at numbers two and number three. You tell me, if you were grading this in a baseball scorebook, how you would grade the pick of Ronnie Brown. Mm, that would be a whiff. A whiff. I, 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 I gave it credit for a single. I thought he was good for a little while, but you know, it's I either somewhere between a, a single and a ground out. Okay. The third pick, the third pick that year was Braylon Edwards by the Cleveland Browns. Well, that, that might be a, a backwards K went down looking. All right. I'm going to take you over to the 2012 season. As you requested where, where you've got the Kansas city chiefs in 2012, they lost 14 games. They came back the next year, one eleven and got a wild card. The Philadelphia Eagles lost 12 games that year. They came back the next year, won 10. They also got a wild card. Who's their quarterback? The Eagles in 12? Mm-hmm. Good question. Mm-hmm. Do, do, you, do your research. I think that might have been Michael Vick territory, possibly. Okay. All right. We'll look at that. 2012 is an interesting year from the draft perspective because it was the St. Louis Rams that owned that pick but traded it to the Washington Redskins in the RG3 sweepstakes. Uh, the, 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 I think you would agree that, that Robert Griffin III was probably a flyout on your baseball yeah. sports Yeah, team? definitely. Yeah. But at the deep. Morning track out. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was a rookie of the year, so you got to give him contact. credit for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the Rams ended up with Michael Brockers, Janoris Jenkins, Isaiah Pede, Rakevius Watkins, Alec Ogletree, Stedman Bailey, Zach Stacy, and Greg Robinson from that draft hall that they got. Uh, cool. A lot of players there. A lot of players that we listed. I don't know that any of them turned them into a Super Bowl contender. Uh, 2012 was also the year that the Cleveland Browns traded up from four to three to take Trent Richardson. I think you would give that a backwards K in your score that was, sheet. That was backwards K. Yeah, I remember that. That was a pretty bad one. Vikings wound up with Matt Khalil, Robert Blanton, and then traded another draft pick for veteran cornerback A.J. Jefferson. All right, the last year, 2020, that you asked for, uh, that year included four teams that, that finished with 12 losses or more. None of them rebounded to make the playoffs the next year. Three of them remained in last place. Uh, the draft picks that year in 2020, Chase Young was the uh, the commanders or the football, I guess at that time they were the football team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, decent pick there. Jeff Okuda from the Lions, which by the way, on this list of numbers two and three picks over the last 20 years, Detroit shows up a lot. They've picked in the top 10 yeah. uh, more than their fair share. And and here they are still trying to break through that wall. But just a, just a sidebar, a little, little fun exercise to do. Keep, keep that research, okay? That is something we need to go back to periodically between now and the draft, among other things. But I think keep that research as we monitor this rebuild after the teardown. Just so you know, pre-draft season is as long as the NFL regular season. So get ready for that. But much more fun because you're, under, you're undefeated. <laughs> All the you're, time. You're undefeated. And I think, Dan, it might be even less contentious. Maybe a little <laughs> less contentious. One can hope after the new year. All right, so... That is great stuff. Let's get on to our next segment because it's an important one. There was some important stuff going on at Hallis Hall this week. Let's get to it in our next segment. Okay, Dan, it was an emotional day at Hallis Hall on Wednesday. I'll let you take it from there because there was an award given out that I feel like was a pretty cool moment. Yeah. So just for some context for our audience, every year the Chicago chapter of the Pro Football Writers Association gives out its good guy award. And that is an award given out to a player, a coach, someone in the organization that has been uh, 
gone above and beyond to help the media do its job and has been in the spirit of the award, just been a good guy. And we've been giving this out since 2013. And last year, after the passing of our good friend, Jeff Dickerson, we quickly renamed that award the Jeff Dickerson Good Guy Award. It's a little bit hard to talk about without getting choked up just a bit because, you know, um, as Adam Hogue said in his presentation on Wednesday, that Jeff was the ultimate good guy, uh, the, the, the most unselfish, caring, good dude that's probably ever set foot in this building, much less the media room in there. And so a great tribute to honor Jeff with naming that award after him. It was an equally fitting tribute to give that award out yesterday on December 28th because it was the one year of Jeff's passing after his short and valiant battle with cancer. Uh, and so I, I'll let you say a couple things and then we'll turn the floor over to to the guy who won that award and, and listen to some of his sentiments. Yeah, I know you knew Jeff uh, going back. You guys are both Illini guys. And yeah. um, I came to Chicago in 2003 to cover the Bears as the beat writer at the Tribune. And J.D. was already on the beat. So we got to be very good friends um, competing against each other. I did a stint at AM 1000 when he was there. We hosted shows together. We did uh, an, an NFL nightly show during the season. It was fun. And we did shows at Bourbon A. It, you work with somebody, you get to know them really well. And, and it was a relationship that, like many of his, kind of extended beyond the workplace. Um, and I just felt fortunate to know him. Real positive guy. Uh, he's somebody that would always try to pick somebody up and was always yeah. there for people. Uh, the ultimate good guy. And um, there are a lot of funny stories on the beat from when people thought we looked – Tank Johnson one time thought we looked alike, <laughs> wrote about this last year, and he yelled at Jeff one day because he thought he was me, and he wrote something in the – I wrote it, something in the Tribune. And yeah, it was it was funny, and he had a good sense of humor, and he kept things in perspective. And frankly, you know, I, I did – you know, you miss him just because of his presence, but certainly his wisdom could have – would have been welcomed this season – of all of them on the Bears beat. So I felt like uh, the good guy award was aptly named after him. And this year, I think it went to a very uh, deserving recipient. Yeah, Cole Komet, the tight end. I'll, I'll tell you the finalists uh, were Eddie Jackson, Jalen Johnson, Darnell Mooney, and Cole Komet. Cole got the most votes to put him over the top as the winner. Um, Cole's been a, a really good dude to get to know over three years. This was an interesting year because it was the first year that the locker room was back open again. And so for a lot of the guys that we uh, have gotten to know on this team for a couple of years, it was either over zoom in 2020 or just sitting in the media room at a podium setting where you didn't have the, the opportunities as often to have casual conversation and get to know people. Cole Komet's a guy that I've talked about uh, youth baseball pitching with at his locker this year. Right. And in addition to, Hey, what went wrong on that third down and why can't you guys score in the later stages of games? You know, so there's a lot, you can get at when the locker room's back open. But anyway, here's a little bit of sampling uh, of Cole accepting the award and some, some follow-up questions that I had just to, as, a, as a kid, um, you know, who grew up here in an interesting circumstance as a kid who, who, who at once followed the Bears, like most of our audience with that passion and that, that enthusiasm and is now on the other side as one of the guys being covered. Here's some of Cole Komet. Sir, just obviously thanks to all you guys. You guys have been fantastic this year, um, you know, in the locker room and being super respectful, you know, to all the players. And, you know, and we feel that um, you guys got a big responsibility for this game. And, you know, obviously all you guys got your takes, whether guys in the locker room agree with it or not. But um, 
it, it's it's good for our game. You guys are promoters of this game for us, and it's the reason why the NFL is what it is today. So um, appreciate all your good work, and you know, um, I appreciate all the respect that you guys have given me this year. So with that, um, we'll open up with questions. Well, you, you grew up here. I'm, I'm curious how much you were aware of, of Jeff as a Bears fan growing up. Yeah, no, definitely knew Jeff. Um, Growing up, and um, you know, my dad was obviously you know reading up on him all the time with ESPN and all that. Um, and then got to know Jeff briefly here uh, before he passed. So, um, obviously, really special guy. You know, um, big avid fan of the Bears, all that stuff, and and, and a great reporter. So, um, you know, to to get an award in his name is is, is really special. Kind of having followed Chicago media as a Bears fan, and now you know, last three years being. Yeah, um, it's weird because you go from kind of naturally consuming it all the time to having really to shut it out for the most part. Uh, not that I don't want to hear what you guys say, but it's 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 I don't think that's a healthy thing for me. So um, no, but yeah, I, I, it, it's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, you go from growing up, you know, things on the radio, all the, all those type of things, reading articles, all that type of stuff, and um, you know, now to kind of be engaged with you guys uh, is actually pretty cool for me. So uh, really cool stuff, and you know, like I said, I really just appreciate all the all the things you guys have done. This year. Is that hard to do in a season that's not going the way you want it to? And how do you do it? Uh, with the, you mean like blocking out? Yeah, well, and, yeah, or just kind of talking, talking whenever we ask you. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously it's difficult and, you know, there's times where you're really frustrated as a player, but, you, you know, it's, at the end of the day, it's our responsibility to, you know, to be there and be present for you guys and be engaged. So, um, you know, you guys got a lot on your plate. You guys got things that you got to write about, talk about, and, you know, those are your responsibilities and we, it's our responsibility to pro- provide that info and answer your questions the right way and, and all that type of stuff. So, um, you know, I think it's important. It helps me get my message across, you know, regardless of what you guys are asking and, um, you know, it, it works both ways. So I always feel like I'm respectful of it, and I think you guys feed off of that and show that respect my way as well. First of all, David, I'm going to continue working on Cole and making sure that if he's going to block out the media, he at least makes time for the Take the North podcast because I think he'd feel good about some of the things he hears on this podcast. So I'll I'll keep knocking on that door and and see if we can bust it down and maybe we get him on the show at some point. Uh, I I do want to also say that a few of the other people that I personally nominated in the early stages of the nominee process were Luke Getze, Nick Morrow, Justin Jones, and Travis Gibson. Uh, You could probably add Braxton Jones and Tevin Jenkins to that list as well. And I think this has been uh, a sentiment shared and 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 sort of agreed upon by most of the media here that for a team that's been in last place and has lost 12 games and hasn't had a lot of things go right in 2022 this has been a tremendous locker room and a mature group of guys that have have understood the give and take and the back and forth uh in a way that's great you know as well as i do that a lot of times these these double digit loss seasons can get very tense and guys can be out of that locker room before you're ever let in and you walk in and as Brad Biggs calls it very open locker room, right? Because there's no one in there to talk to. It hasn't been that way this year. And I'm very appreciative of this team. And, and for as much as we, we sometimes criticize losing teams, they should be praised and, and lauded for that part of things. I think that's well put. And when you have a first year regime, you may be in the case of the bears, uh, having records for futility, but you also want to be among the league leaders in integrity. And I think the Bears can feel very good about kind of character guys they put in that locker room. And when you hear all this kind of uh, abstract talk about a culture, you hear it in Cole Komet's voice and his sincerity and the other guys that you mentioned, this has been a very good team to cover. They have lost with uh, a sense Grace. of 
of, of grace. And, and that's, that what you're, that's what you're looking for. There's not been a lot of dissension. There's not been a lot of dysfunction. There's always going to be a, a little bit of it, but from an NFL perspective, this has been, um, this has been a locker room full of guys who, who care and have represented the bears very well. So a couple last things I want to share just on Jeff Dickerson, because, you know, Wednesday was an emotional day, just trying to commemorate the one year uh, anniversary of his passing. But you mentioned something earlier about how Jeff looked after other people at all times. And um, there's a couple there's a trio of stories that I'll share quickly that I think kind of represent who Jeff is. As you know, when you're on the beat, you, you end up traveling around to a lot of different cities with with people on the beat and you don't you, you kind of take it for granted over time how many times you get to just go out with friends in some city elsewhere in the country and have a good time two of the best times i've ever had with jeff dickerson one was at the the, the versace mansion in south florida another was at the hibachi at the mall in Bourbonnais. And if you can have a good time with somebody at the Versace Mansion in, in, in South Florida and also at the, the mall in Bourbonnais, it tells you a little bit about the company you're in. And that's who Jeff was. He, he brought a spirit to just about everything you did. And he, he was just that guy that could keep you in the right perspective as you went. Um, the second story I'll share is we were out here last year. Jeff was still in his own battle with cancer, and we were covering a Saturday training camp practice. And 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 as fathers, you tend to miss sporting events of your kids, as you know, because you're on the road traveling with teams and you, your, your obligations, you're at practice, whatever it may be. And I remember this training camp practice specifically was, was getting kind of boring. And my son was playing a, a summer league championship baseball game in Glenview. And J.D. had gotten so bored with this Bears practice that he was like, hey, Get your dad to start texting us some some play by play of this game. I need to know what's going on in that game. Like more concerned about my son's baseball game than the Bears practice. And I, I opened that those floodgates, and, and and my dad literally was sending us pitch by pitch recap. <laughs> it got to a point where it was like, you know, hey, listen, like we could just take every inning. You could give us the highlights. But we had a, a, a good entertaining day with that. And the last story I'll tell is in week one uh, in in two thousand and twenty one. Uh, we go out to L.A., and Jeff and I had made plans to have dinner uh, that night in California. And Jeff, as you know, was invite everybody guy. And I asked him for this specific occasion, hey, can it, can it just be us uh, for this? Because my dad had been diagnosed the previous month uh, with a cancer that I was having trouble getting my brains wrapped around. Jeff is in the middle of his own battle with cancer. He lost his wife to brain cancer just a couple years before. And he's like, no problem. I've got you. And then his flight gets delayed and then his flight gets delayed a second time. And I'm like, Hey man, look like you're going to be landing in LA. You know, you you're dealing with your own physical stuff. Like let's just scrap this. And it's not a big deal. Like I'm cool lands in LA at like 9:30 Chicago time it's like 7:30 in LA time and by the time he gets out of the airport gets to his hotel it's getting later and later and later and he's like brother i've got you i've got you and he drives and he meets me for dinner and in the in the, the height of his own battle with cancer tries to put my 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 own mind at ease on on what i was me and my family were dealing with with my dad and that's just i mean i don't think there could be a more representative example of a guy who was just always looking out for others more than he looked out for himself and that's why he's so missed around here that's why he was the good guy and that's why this award uh will forever live on his name great stories great memories and a great guy yeah jd was the absolute best all right let's wrap things up with our two-minute drill the two-minute drill two-minute drill okay tough segue but i think dan we do have a football game um injury wise tevin jenkins back dante pettis in doubt anybody else stand out on the list Chase Claypool doesn't look like we're going to see him, even though I think he has a lot to prove. Well, look, Chase Claypool got 
back on the practice field on Thursday afternoon. We're going to see how that progresses. There may be an opportunity for him to get back out there. Equinemius St. Brown has cleared concussion protocol. So you, you start to say, okay, here we go. The Bears are starting to get a little healthier in the receiving core. And then in Wednesday's practice, Dante Pettis steps on a, a teammate's foot, injures his ankle, and now he may be in doubt uh, for Sunday afternoon's game. So it's just the state that the Chicago Bears are in right now where just nothing seems to come together all at once. And, and, and so there they are. Uh, you mentioned Tevin Jenkins back on the field from after his neck injury. Cody Whitehair back in the field on a limited basis on Wednesday. We'll see how he progresses throughout the week and whether he's able to return to the offensive line as well. Is Equinemius St. Brown coming back just to see if he can pay <laughs> off the bet with his brother or outdo him again? Because I think he lost the first game and he's probably more likely to lose this bet if they have anything riding on the outcome. Well, so the bet was $1,000 on which team would finish higher in the standings, uh-huh. David. And, and Equinemius, when he told us about this you know, seven weeks ago, the Bears were ahead of the Lions in the standing and there was a little bit of a, a puffy chested, hey, we, my, I got this bet with my brother. Well, now Amon Ross St. Brown has every uh, reason to go collect that bet at midfield before the game in some sort of uh, festive ceremony. I, I've joked about that. It, you know, Most likely he'll pay him via Venmo or send it through his parents or something. But uh, that's, a, that's a loss that I'm sure EQ didn't want to take this season. I don't know if you were listening to the score Wednesday morning. Tom Thayer, I think, said that Braxton Jones has the potential to be great as a left tackle. That was interesting. Yeah. Um, Tom knows offensive line play far better than I do. <laughs> uh, his expertise means a lot to me. Uh, I think there are, are a lot of things within Braxton Jones's skill set. There are a lot of things within his mental fortitude and his capacity to learn that give him a chance. Now you got to go out and do things right in this league. And so consistency is a big thing, um, but there's certainly some tools to work with. Uh, and, and if you are able, look like, you know, as well as I do, if you can find a day three guy to uh, fill a, a position of need that has that much importance. Well, now all of a sudden you've got resources to devote elsewhere. That would be a best case scenario for the bears. Uh, I, I want to see more obviously in 2023 from Braxton Jones. I wouldn't be surprised if they find competition for him. Um, but certainly he's one of those, those rookies that has, has, shown promising growth in 2022 name of this podcast is taking the north but in tanking the north there's been only one winless team ever that was in 2017 the bears are on their way to becoming the second that would not be any more history you'd want to embrace either Maybe they dodge it. Maybe they dodge it. Maybe they get a win at Ford Field. Maybe they upset the Vikings, who may not have a ton to play for in Week 18. Maybe they get to 1-5 in five in the division. But right now, they're 0-4. They're staring down the barrel of being uh, underdogs in these last two games and winless in the division. Not the thing that you want to do. But, uh, you know, um, we'll see. We'll see how they can get it flipped around. Win, lose, or tie. We will be here Sunday night with our instant reaction to the Bears and Lions at Ford Field. Thanks for hanging in with us on this podcast, dropping Friday morning on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast also check out 670 the scores youtube page you can watch us there or odyssey's youtube page you can find us watch along put it on your tv or your phone or your whatever device you want to watch us we will talk bears as we do each and every time this is episode 40 we will be back on sunday night with our reactions so for adam studzinski i am david haw and dan weeder has to say goodbye one last time before leaving hallis hall I was just going to say, we covered a ton of ground and we didn't even get to everything. That's a, a really good sign in week 17 of a 12-loss season that we, we, we didn't run out of things to talk about and still have more that we could talk about. And I go out 
to Detroit on New Year's Eve, fly out to Detroit on New Year's Eve and spend New Year's Eve in, in a uh, hotel that is attached to the terminal. First time I've ever done that. So you talk about unexciting New Year's Eves. I think I might have the, the market cornered on that. I've done that before. I, it is, it's not as fun as it sounds, Dan. You made it sound pretty appealing. I can guarantee you that the New Year's Day and New Year's Eve in Detroit, not something necessarily you want to look forward to, only if you have to cover or work the next day. But I'm sure you will make the most of it and we wish everybody here at the take the north podcast from the take the north podcast a happy new year's this is our last podcast of 2022 it has been a fun year getting this started and continuing it looking forward to great things ahead in 2023 auld lang sign or something like that something like that all right we'll talk to you on sunday night thanks for listening download listen and subscribe to the take the north podcast <laughs>